G'day, Troy Dean from WP Elevation, and welcome to episode 67 of the WP Elevation podcast. Now, for those of you who are watching this podcast, watching the video, and I know that about 36% of you do watch the video because, yes, I do track those stats, you might notice the wall behind me is no longer yellow. It's now white. Well, that doesn't mean we've painted the wall. No, in fact, we've moved into a brand new office. We've moved into a co-working business space on Chapel Street in Pran called Revolver Creative. We've moved in here. We've got a private office in this amazing space with this great community of internet companies and startups, uh, including Pandora. They have some staff here, and so do Campaign Monitor and a bunch of other cool people who I'm getting to know. So don't be alarmed. I haven't painted the wall. I've just moved office, and I kind of set the office up the way that I wanted it set up and realized that I'd pretty much duplicated exactly how I had it set up in the old building. So there you go. Uh, this week on the on the podcast, our feature guest is Zoe Rooney from zoerooney.com. Zoe is a front-end WordPress developer based out of Philadelphia in the US. And I was introduced to Zoe by Tracy Levesque at Yikes Inc. They both teach girls how to code um, in um, <clears throat> at uh, a couple of meetups and, and, and courses uh, in Philadelphia that I cannot remember the name of, um, but someone will remember and leave it in the comment section, hopefully. Uh, and Zoe, uh, what I love about what Zoe's done with her business is she's managed to define her niche so clearly that she even only puts work up on her portfolio page that represents the kind of work that she wants to attract. How strategic is that? That's very cool. Uh, her niche is partnering with designers and agencies to deliver custom WordPress themes. She doesn't design, and mainly for info-based sites and some e-commerce. And interestingly enough, she uses Shopify for her e-commerce solutions and not WooCommerce, and we talk about why. And that's a very interesting conversation. So um, what else? Oh, Zoe also is the author of um, a course, an online course called Neatly Polished, uh, where she teaches WordPress theme development. And she's giving away three months access to Neatly Polished, valued at $79. And I think that even if you are not a coder, if you're just a WordPress consultant who outsources or delegates or subcontracts out your coding work, I think you should at least know what goes into building a WordPress theme. And uh, Zoe's course is all text and screenshot based. It's not videos. So you could probably get through it pretty quickly because you don't need to go back and forth in the videos. You can just read. There's code snippets there. It's very well laid out and very simple to follow. You should definitely uh, stick around for details on how you can enter that competition to win three months access to Neatly Polish so that you can learn you know, the basics of WordPress theme development and learn how to become a theme developer. Even if you don't code, at least then you'll know what it is you're outsourcing and asking other uh, coders and developers to do for you. What else? Oh, what I really like about uh, what Zoe's done here is She's built a business, a profitable, successful business around her skills and her passion that allow her to work from home, take her kids to school, pick her kids up from the school bus and spend some time with them and have that flexible work arrangement. So her business really is supporting her lifestyle. And that's what we're all about here at WP Elevation. Uh, I certainly love having a business that supports my lifestyle and I love helping our community do the same. So... Uh, this is the first episode for 2015. I know there have already been a few published, but this is the first episode I've recorded in 2015. I'm pumped. I'm in a new office space. I've got a vibe. I hope you have too. Stay with us. Let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation podcast is brought to you by Video User Manuals, the best, the only, the original way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. That's right. It's a plugin that you install in your client's WordPress dashboards. And we put, I think, current count is about 84 or 85 video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard to teach them how to use WordPress, how to use WooCommerce, how to use SEO by Yoast, and courtesy of Justin Catroni, our friend at Google, how to set up their Google Analytics account and how to read their Google Analytics reports. Uh, you can get it for $1 for your first month, and we now also include embed codes, so you can actually take any of the videos or all of the videos and embed them on pages in your membership website. You can even charge for people to access your membership website to watch the videos. 
hey, the more money you make from our stuff, the happier we are. Uh, check it all out at videousermanuals.com or go to wpelevation.com slash vum and uh, watch the little video that my wife and I made where she pretends to be a client and I pretend to hand over a website. It's quite funny. Um, anyway, Video User Manuals is the plugin that allows you to teach your clients how to use WordPress and is the proud sponsor, uh, of course, because we make it of the WP Elevation podcast. Hey, the Elevation tip this week is make product. Two things I like about making product. First of all, uh, actually three things. First of all, it makes you better at what you do. If you turn something into a product, whether you're a designer and you make something like the Layout Lab, which Blage Robar did from Eleven Media, or if you're a developer and you make a plugin, or if you're a copywriter and you make a copywriting course, whatever it is, if you make product, it makes you better at what you do because you can't bluff your way through a product. The product has to be good, right? So it forces you to hone your skills and sharpen the saw, so to speak. The number two reason I like it is because it might just generate some recurring income for you, which is awesome. And number three is it's a great positioning exercise. It's pretty hard to argue with someone on price if they make a product that hundreds or thousands of other WordPress professionals all over the world use as part of their daily routine. So they're the three reasons I like uh, to make a product. And uh, I'm saying now you should make product. We started making product back in 2008 with the Video User Manuals plugin. We now make WP Elevation, the business accelerator program for WordPress consultants, and it has completely revolutionized our business and changed my life. Recurring revenue is the holy grail. Kids, I'm here to tell you, if you haven't got recurring revenue in your business, then it is fragile and vulnerable. You need to get recurring revenue into your business. So make product. It's a great way to do it. And... Zoe Rooney, our guest this week, made a product. She's made a course uh, that she puts up at neatlypolished.com. Great name, by the way, Neatly Polished. And uh, it's the WP theme development course that she's got. And she's giving three months access to that course away, which is valued at $79. Stick around for details on how you can enter that competition. Hey, without further ado, it's a cracker, this one. Let's go and meet Zoe Rooney. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me all the way from Philadelphia, Zoe Rooney from Zoe Rooney. Hey, Zoe, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for joining us on the WP Elevation podcast. For those that don't know, Zoe is also author of an online course called Neatly Polished, uh, which teaches you WordPress theme development. And is very kindly giving away three months access to that course valued at $79. So stick around for details a little bit later on in the episode to see how you can enter the draw to win that awesome prize. Hey, Zoe Rooney, before we start geeking off about all things WordPress, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I think my, my original choice was actually to be a lawyer. <laughs> which uh, may be an unpopular answer. I, I really liked to argue as a kid, and so I thought that might, that might play into those talents. Awesome. Do you still like to argue? Um, it's funny because I'm actually fairly non-confrontational in general, right. um, but I do like to have a good debate and you know get some points across that way. So there's a fine line between a robust conversation and an argument, isn't there? Yes, yes. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know when to pull out? Because it's a problem I have too. I never know when to pull out. I just keep digging myself deeper. <laughs> uh, I think one thing I learned in a, in a previous job was the, the talent of listening <laughs> really well to other people. Oh, and right. so I think uh, I've learned once I can get a few of my key ideas across and acknowledge theirs, and that's, then that's as far, about as far as I can get in any given argument. Awesome. Uh, good advice. Um, when, so when did you discover the web and think, hmm, hang on, there's something in this. I might be spending a bit more time here. Yeah. So I think like a lot of people who do this kind of work, I first discovered it back in the, the GeoCities days <laughs> in the 90s as a, a teenager for me. Um, and that was a time when I really just played around on it. And I think that the great thing about that was that since I was playing around, it was something that was fun. And that sort of cemented the idea of HTML and CSS and the web as a fun thing, which is really, I think, a great, a great way to approach this work. I got back into it a little bit more um, as a design and art major in college and started building websites more robustly at that time frame. So that would be sort of the 2000s. Cool. And do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? That is a great question. I was just talking to someone else about that today. I actually don't remember. And I think it, I think it was probably in the late 2000s, and it was probably that I picked up a client who was using WordPress. 
I didn't build any sites. Uh, well, I, I only built a couple of sites that didn't use any CMS. Um, so it was pretty early on, but I can't remember the first moment, which is a funny thing. Do you remember, were you, were you trying, uh, you know, Joomla and Drupal and all those other things at the same time? Or did you just discover WordPress and go, okay, I'm going to stick with this? Uh, yeah, I think it was pretty much just just WordPress and going forward with that. I have played around with a lot of different e-commerce platforms, but WordPress is pretty much the only non-e-commerce focused CMS that I've, I've really worked with. And um, did you when, you, when you first discovered WordPress, did you then, was it then every site that you built then was using WordPress or were you still kind of building static HTML sites for a while? Yeah, it was pretty much WordPress from the get-go. I think a lot of my early sites were more sort of personal side projects on WordPress, a little bit of, of helping clients out. And then once I really got into client work, it was pretty much all WordPress, again, except for some e-commerce that, that built in some other platforms as well. But everything InfoSite blog-wise has always been WordPress for me. And so the, the design art major you did at college, was that with the express intention of becoming a web designer? It was not. It was actual, actually a visual arts, like a fine arts program. Uh -huh. And I did some design as a part of that. My, my main focus was in drawing and painting. Um, mm. And I got to learn how to weld and other fun things like that. And that's really why I did it, because it was really fun. <laughs> and cool. studio time was a lot more fun than, I don't know, exams. Um, yeah. So I took a lot of different classes in college, and that just ended up being my major. But it wasn't really related to, to going into this work. I actually was in education as a teacher before mm. I did this work. So uh, I've been all over the place. So how did you how did you get how did you get into doing client work? How did you get into like who was the first client that actually paid you money to build them a website? <laughs> um, well, I actually did do a, one internship while I was in college over a summer with a designer, and I did build some some really early websites there. I think that was using like Dreamweaver type stuff <laughs> at that point. Um, some really really early stuff. Uh, that is fortunately no longer alive <laughs> on the web. Yeah. But um, my first client work other than that was actually as a side project when I had a full-time job in a dif different industry. And that was um, building, my, one of my cats is coming to say hello. Uh, hello. That was building um, <laughs> a blog site for um, a friend, basically through through people that I knew in real life. Uh, that, that was how I got my first early jobs. Uh-huh. Uh, how do you describe what you do in one sentence today when you meet someone for the first time and they say, hey, Zoe, what do you do? What's your elevator pitch, so to speak? Yeah, um, what I do now is I partner with designers and agencies and I build really beautiful, really functional WordPress and Shopify sites for their clients, mostly small businesses in sort of lifestyle creative business industries. Okay, so your, so your client, I like this because you're kind of calling out who your target audience is in that yeah. statement. So your client mm -hmm. really is the design agencies or designers, yeah? Yep, I mostly work with freelance designers and then a, a very small number of agencies, on the, usually on the smaller side with the agencies. Um, and they, they are my primary client, I would say. I, they are the ones who are finding the clients and they're bringing those people to me and then I build the website. Sometimes I'm interfacing with the end client as well with mm -hmm. that and then sometimes it's all through the agency or designer, just depends on how they want to work. Mm. And so if, a, if an end client just comes to you, like if someone just comes to you and says, hey, Zoe, I need a website, but they don't have a, a designer or an agency, do you take them on or do you refer them to the designers first? I refer them to the designer first. I have a list of the designers that I work with. Um, and for those, I do generally just refer right to a designer because uh, that's usually the scale of those projects. Uh, but yeah, we'll say, say, we're really happy to talk to you about this project after you've decided on a designer. These are the people we typically work with. And if they want to send us more info about their project as far as their aesthetic, we can narrow that list down with them a little bit. But we definitely say, go contract with one of these designers, and we're happy to talk more about the project. Hmm. So who I'm, I'm curious about this model, because I've kind of done a similar mm -hmm. thing where we, I, I have some clients who are my clients and then a batch of clients who we work through agencies. Who, who Whose client are they? Like, who actually manages the client through the project? Is it, the, is it typically the design firm or the designer that does that? Um, with agencies, it's definitely the agency that does it, and I'm a, usually a subcontractor for them. There's usually a project manager for that. Yep. Um, with all my other freelance designers, it really varies um, on based on their model mainly and, and whether they want to be the one who interfaces throughout the project with the client. I have probably about an even split of people who, who want to have that role as the project manager and be the one with the client-facing relationship. 
and the rest of them, it really is um, more of where they handle the design phase and then they turn it over to me and I'm working with the client from then on. Mm. I want to talk more about this as we go on mm -hmm. an interview, but before we get there, um, what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Are you in code editors, editing code? Mm -hmm. Yep, I mostly am. Um, I try to make that the, the majority of my day where I'm actually in code editors writing custom themes. Um, I do also have a couple part-time employees, so I spend some time talking with them, mostly on Slack these days. Uh -huh. And I spend some time in email, although um, I try to keep that to a minimum. Um, you know, with code, it helps to have long blocks of time where you're just in the code. So that's what I try to make the most of my day like. How, how do you do that? Like, how, like, do you actually close emails down and turn Twitter off and put your phone upside down so you can't see Facebook notifications and actually put yourself in the dungeon? Um, I, I don't ever turn the Twitter notifications off because I just like those too much. But um, <laughs> everything else I do, I do close email. Um, I, I keep Slack open, but I, I have notifications set way down low so that I don't get notified for every single thing that comes through there. Um, and I try to kind of stream everything through there, and then I check it when I can. Um, it's something I'm always working on, <laughs> turning off more of that and checking email less frequently. It's a hard balance, though, because people want to hear from you right away. But at the same time, in order to get the work done, I need to, <laughs> to not be responding right away mm. all the time. Yeah. I was talking with um, one of our WP Elevation members recently, and the big problem they had is that the, uh, there was quite a large design agency who they were doing a lot of work for, and the design agency kind of just expected that they would be contactable on email all day, every mm -hmm. day, and it was really yeah. interrupting their workflow. They had this kind of inherent fear of upsetting the design agency by saying, look, we're going to check our emails at 10 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Or, you know, let's have a phone call at 9 o'clock every morning, like a quick 15-minute wrap-up of what's going mm -hmm. on, like a scrum kind of thing. Do mm -hmm. you kind of have that fear of, of, of kind of not wanting to upset the client but also needing to shut down and focus on – like how do you educate them through that process? Yeah, I mean I try to be upfront from the beginning saying that, that – um, we're going to respond as fast as we can. I try to be really clear. We, we try to set our limits by not responding when we're not wanting to be available. So like not answering emails mm. late at night and not answering emails on the weekend. And if we have to, we add a qualification, a qualification in the email that says, normally we would not be writing to you right now, however, and this yeah. is the reason we are. Um, so we try to be super clear about, about that kind of thing. Um, with some of my agency partners, I, a lot of them, it just is building trust with the person I'm directly working with. And, and I do ask that when I'm considering a project. I say, like, what is your expectation as far as my availability to you? Um, and I, I've never, when I ask that, I've never had a problem um, with that. I, I also have made some arrangements with some of those partners where I say, like, here's my cell phone number. If it is really, truly an urgent thing, send me a text message and that that's fine and I'll get that. Um, and, and otherwise you know, email is great and I'll get to that when I can get to it. And um, I think it's been fine. I think part of that is also trying not to let things last in my inbox longer than they need to so that um, I can send back a quick reply and say, I got your email. Here's a quick thought. I need to get back to this other thing tomorrow. I'm just keeping that rolling. But again, it's always a work in progress. I don't do as well as I'd like to, but those are some of the things I try to do. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, we'll talk more about productivity uh, in a little moment. Um, mm -hmm. What's the one thing that keeps you awake at night besides the cats and the kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably, it probably is the kids. I think, I think for everyone, balancing work, especially when you're running a business and mm. life outside of work is really, really hard. Um, so that's something that I, that I, it uh, keeps me awake at night in a couple of ways. One is that sometimes I'm awake at night working when my kids are asleep. Um, so in that way, very literally. And then also just making sure that I'm doing the best I can at both of those things as much as I can. What do you think, what do you think like us who like call us entrepreneurs or freelancers or self-employed people or people who have our own business, whatever you want to call it. Why do you think, because I've got plenty of friends who, who are employees, right? They work for other mm -hmm. people. They're not working at night. Like they, yeah. they leave the building and they're done until the following morning. Why do you think us entrepreneurs are usually the ones sitting up late at night or maybe checking things on the weekends? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of it is that one of the reasons a lot of us do it is that we want to own our own schedule. So we are doing other things during the day when mm. other people might be in an office. Mm. Um, I've actually always, besides from when I was in a classroom teaching, I've always worked from home, um, even when I was an employee, and I always had a fairly flexible schedule. So I've always worked this way. 
Um, but that's that's for me. That's partly why it is. Um, it, I need to be taking my kids to school and be there when they get off the bus, and mm. I want to have some time with them at that point. So mm. I'm not working, mm. at, you know, between two thirty and four um, in the afternoon. And at that time, it doesn't just go away. I still need to work for yeah. that many hours usually. So so a lot of it is is making my own schedule means that I need to make room for work in other places. But I also think it's just that. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have something that you really want to do, mm. and it's something that really drives you, and that that's pretty motivating to mm. keep you at the computer. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I was talking to someone recently, not in our industry at all, and they said uh, they've kind of just gone out on, the, on their own, and what they've realized is that when they were an employee, there was all this stuff that they didn't have to worry about, like where the mm-hmm. clients came from, if the clients pay on time making payroll, invoicing, you know, balancing the books, all this stuff, like maintaining mm-hmm. equipment. They just turned up to work and did their job and there was this all these yeah. invisible fairies that made all that other stuff happen. But now they're out on their own, <laughs> yeah. they realise, oh, wow, there's, you know, all this other stuff that goes along with actually having a business and it was a bit of a rude mm-hmm. awakening. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, nice segue in terms of the work-life balance. What do you do when you're not working? Um, I, I mostly spend time with my kids. They're five and three, so we do a lot of Lego building awesome. right now. I think we've built pretty much every Lego set that exists <laughs> at this point in time. Um, cool. I try to get out of the house because I work from home and my business is out of my house, and so I try to get out of here every so often. Yeah. And then I also, when I can, I try to sneak in some reading time, but I don't get a whole lot of that these mm. days. I saw that on your website, actually. You've got an awesome reading list on your website, which actually prompted yeah. me to... You prompted me to go and read some stuff that I haven't read in a while, and let me yeah. just. Yeah, it was. Um, I think I did a blog post right before the holidays. It was yeah, like a, a brain dump of all the blogs I subscribed That's to. That's right, and I discovered, which I want to talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. I discovered client flow. Oh yeah, that's so interesting. Isn't awesome. It? Anyway, yeah, I want to cool. come, I want to come back to that. But the reading list here is awesome, and um. You reminded me about uh, of how much I love uh, Twenty Four Ways and Andy Budd because I haven't I haven't visited those guys for ages. I used to read a lot of Twenty Four Ways and Andy Budd and Andy mm-hmm. Clark, who mm-hmm. was on the podcast yeah. recently. I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing him, mm-hmm. uh, and of course Chris Coyier at CSS Tricks. Uh, so thanks for putting that reading list together because you've prompted oh, yeah. me to go and read some of that stuff again. Um, do you read non? Do you read fiction at all? Um, I do a little bit, but it's mostly like really trashy fiction, right. <laughs> like brain. It's, you know, when I read fiction, it's to give my brain a break. Uh-huh. So it's nothing, it's nothing very good. Um, I mostly read either industry stuff like those blogs, or I read some nonfiction, um, mostly about education still. I, uh, my kids just are starting public school and I feel pretty strongly about education. So I read a lot of, a lot of stuff about that too. Ah. What's your, what, if you don't mind sharing, what's the, uh, mm-hmm. what's the bent on the education? What do you, what do you feel strongly about in terms of education? Um, well, when I taught, I taught in a high poverty area and the, the Philadelphia city public schools are, are in a really tough spot right now as far as budget and, and the student population, it's a high poverty area for, for kids in public school. And there are a lot of challenges with that. So I, I just read a lot about um, sort of community issues and then also uh, just best practices for education. One of my kids is also disabled. He's autistic. So I've been reading more about um, mm. all kinds of things related to special education and then also books about skills that we can build with him. So mm. <laughs> all kinds of stuff in that sort of realm. Awesome. Uh, I haven't got kids yet, but they're on the way, hopefully. Um, <laughs> there you go. There's a cat that's been let out of the bag. Uh, but I, my, my wife and I always talk about, uh, we're, we're always having this conversation about um, public uh, education and some other alternative education models like Steiner and Montessori. And, but for us, it's kind of all theory because we don't have kids. So I'm really curious yeah. to see how that conversation changes once we have kids. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's here it's interesting because um, people, a lot of people want to be invested in public education and it's really hard where we live because the district is really just not in good shape. So it's mm. really interesting to see once people actually have kids what ends up happening with mm. that. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing in the business right now, what would it be? Um, I, think, I think it would be scheduling. Scheduling is always hard. Um, Especially, I, I love that I that have designers as my clients, but it can make my scheduling really challenging because design schedules are in constant flux. Um, so it's constant sort of juggling, figuring out where projects are in the design phase, how close they are to the original schedule, making sure things fit in, 
trying not to work 80 hours a week, all that good stuff. All right, well, let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit in terms of your mm-hmm. workflow. Um, so this yeah. is kind of a loose part of the of the conversation here, but do you do you prefer, and this is a tricky question, but do you prefer like working for the agencies or working for the freelance designers? Of course, let's hope that neither of them are listening yeah. to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I like them both for different reasons. I, I really only work with... Um, one or two small agencies. Um, and, and I have been really careful about that because that relationship can feel more like that employee relationship mm. that most of us were moving away from. Mm. Um, the ones that I've worked with have been fantastic because they handle, like you said, a lot of that sort of business end of things. Having a really great project manager <laughs> takes a lot of the load off of me. Um, so that's been really nice. And that has also opened up some projects for me that I wouldn't otherwise be able to work on. Um, bigger projects that are more complex and have more moving parts. So that's been cool. Um, the freelance designers I work with are great because they're just insanely talented and they've come up with really cool creative stuff for really interesting clients. So, so that, and that is one of my favorite things about this work is that I get to get this really amazing website design from a really talented designer and then I get to build it and put it in my portfolio and people are like, Oh, that's, that's beautiful. And I get to take credit, even though I didn't do a lot of the design, I take some of the credit, not all of the credit. So that, that's a really fun thing about, about working with those folks. I'm looking at your portfolio at the moment, actually. And it is very impressive. I mean, there's not like, there's not only, you know, like there's not only a, a, a kind of a real breadth of stuff here. There's a, there's a lot of stuff in your portfolio, but it's all really good quality stuff. And it all looks amazing, which is kind of, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because as web developers, most of what we do is behind the scenes. You don't actually see what we do. You see what the designer does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I've been trying to – I have a couple of case studies that I've written on my blog that I want to write more of um, that, that do get behind the scenes of some of those sites and talk about what the WordPress CMS setup looks like for those and how easy we've made it to update the content. I get a little bit behind the scenes with that, and that's also what I do with a lot of my tutorials that I write is they're actually like things that I thought of while I was working on projects. <laughs> so I write a blog post about that. So the blog is a great way for me to get behind the scenes, but it, it is really fun to get to work on some really beautiful sites with these designers. Do you find, uh, how do you find working with, I'm assuming that the agencies and the freelancers that you work with might have all their own kind of tools, like they might use Basecamp or Asana or how do, do you, do you, are you flexible in terms of fitting into their workflows or do you say, look, here's how I work. You have to plug into my systems. Yeah, no, I've been flexible with working with them. Um, I've recently started making a few suggestions as far as uh, I I have become a total Slack addict for Mm. the chat instant messaging purposes and getting Mm. away from email. So I've recently started suggesting that for some of the people I work with a lot. But um, other than that, I use whatever they're using. Um, For a few people, that's Basecamp. For a lot of people, we just use email, which I think is shocking Mm. (laughs) in this day and age to some people, but it works well for for our purposes. Mm. Um, and in terms of the in terms of the um, uh, the client management side of things, is it is it is it is it different for you when you're working with a freelancer or working with an agency? Like, do they kind of do more of the heavy lifting in managing the client's expectations up front? Um, I actually, when I can, I like to do some of that myself because it lets me be really really clear about what what I do and what I don't do and how that works and all of that. And um, I do have designers who prefer to to be that person with the client and if they really prefer that then that that's okay I can work with that in that case I'm really clear with the designer about what I'll do and what I won't do and I expect them to convey that to the client so we just make it really clear that either either you let me tell the client this stuff and set this expectation and set up this relationship or you're responsible for that on my behalf um, and either of those works for me um, I, I have over time gotten really clear with myself about what I want to do and not do. And so it's been easy to communicate that either way. Do you, most entrepreneurs I talk to have, um, I, I, I kind of group most entrepreneurs, uh, I identify have two, um, problems. One is, uh, they're both acronyms. One is SOS, shiny object syndrome, and the other is FOMO, <laughs> mm-hmm. fear of missing out. Do you, do you suffer fear of missing out? Like, do you, do you find yourself agreeing to things that, there's a little voice in the back of your head saying, oh, yeah. this doesn't quite feel right, but I'm going to agree to it anyway. <laughs> um, I have mostly gotten over that, I think, at this point in time. Um, I definitely did before. Um, and, and I think what, what I've heard from other people and what I've learned is that every time I've done that, I have regretted it in some way, shape or form. Mm. Um, so, so those lessons have taught me not to, not to do that um, and to trust that gut feeling that says, 
not a good idea for whatever reason. Um, I, I also have a part-time assistant who works with me who handles a lot of email and incoming requests with me. And that's been really helpful as far as being able to tell her, like, this is what I want. <laughs> this is how I want it to be. And then I can um, have her help me do those gut checks where I say, I'm not sure about this because of X, Y, and Z. And she'll say, well, if you feel that way, then that tells me that you should say no. <laughs> mm. And she sort of, you know, is my voice of reason sometimes when I'm waffling <laughs> on things. <laughs> Um, so that's really helpful too, but it's, it's something that's gotten easier over time. <laughs> how do you, how do you, in, like in that moment, how do you like, cause I, I know from my experience that the more you just trust that, you know, the pipeline's not going to completely dry up and that the drought will break at some point and that, that there will be more work and I don't have to say yes to everything. But in the mm -hmm. moment, sometimes it's really hard, isn't it? To, to say, well, look, yeah. I, I'm going to say no to this, even though there's money on the table. Yeah, and I think that that has just been broad, diversifying as far as finding, for me, it's more designers. So at this point, I have uh, so many designers that I work with with enough projects coming in that I just, I can't take on more stuff. And mm. so that has also made it really easy to mm. be picky when I when I know that, that there's only so much I can take on and, and things are booked pretty far out. It's not as hard, obviously, to say things are not a good fit. Um, I've also really focused it on the WordPress and the Shopify, and that has helped because there are some things that those platforms are not suited for, um, and there are some things that I don't like to do in those platforms. So, like, I don't really love, despite the fact that I run a membership site, I don't like building them, so I don't, I don't build them. And that also makes it a lot easier for me to set really clear limits and say, look, to myself, these are the three things that I don't ever want to do. And so if they come in, even if I'm tempted, I, I said no, and I have to, I'm going to continue saying no to that. Nice. Um, a couple of questions. Uh, how do you find your designers? Have those relationships all come through word of mouth, or have they spotted you speaking at a WordCamp? How's that happened? Yeah, so the ones, they're mostly word of mouth um, or through social media, sort of similar to word of mouth. Um, a couple of the early ones I actually did, I guess, cold email, you would say, where I would... Uh, send an email out that said, basically, um, I have looked at your portfolio. I really love the work you're doing. I'm a friend and developer. If you're ever looking for more dev help, I'd love to talk about it. Um, so, so not at all sales email. Really, like, I like what you're doing, and this is why, trying to be specific. Mm. And, and if you should ever need me, <laughs> now mm. you know it exists. And that actually worked really well for me with a number of people, because um, I think most designers are <laughs> always looking for front-end dev help. Mm. So. Uh, so that was a, an early strategy. And then from there, it's been a lot of word of mouth among designers who know each other and, and are in the same community. I like the, the distinction that I really like there is that you, when you emailed them, you you started off by saying that you like what they do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we get cold emailed all the time from developers and SEO yeah. and all, you know, copywriters and yep. no one ever <laughs> acknowledges that they've even looked at our website. You know? <laughs> or they get it wrong, right? Or the, I get emails yeah. from people too who, who tell me that they love the design that I do. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> that's yeah. thanks, but I haven't designed any of the sites in my portfolio, maybe yeah. one. Ba -ba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, yeah, no, I definitely did it only for people who, whose work I really did love. And it was part of that idea of, I, I wanted to do beautiful websites. So I looked for people who were building, who were making beautiful websites and that's why I emailed. So it's really easy to say, your work is beautiful. I want to, I want to work with you. Yeah. So how do you know, like, this is, this is a tricky question and I haven't prepped you on this one, but how do you know mm -hmm. how to price yourself? Cause I'm always curious when you work with a client, it's different than when you're working with an agency. Cause when you're working with a client and you're managing the whole project, you can, it, for me, it's a very easy step to do value-based pricing. But when you're working mm -hmm. with freelancers and agencies, I've found it tricky in the past that they, they pretty much just want to know what your hourly rate is so that they can manage their project. And I've had to go through a real education process with my partners to say, well, look, we, I, we just don't have an hourly rate. That's not how we work. How do you manage that with your, with your partners? Yeah, so fortunately, a lot of the freelancers I've worked with um, have been pretty open to whatever, whatever works. I think it's, it's almost sad, though, because they've had a really hard time with developers in the past. So mm. they want a working relationship that is positive and that works. And so whatever it takes to make that happen it is what it takes. Um, I haven't gotten much pushback in that respect. And so I do usually provide um, a flat rate project quote um, and for the, the development portion of the project. And then they share that with their client along with their quote for the design. Yep. Um, with agencies, I've, I've actually been really lucky that the agencies I've worked with generally have a budget in mind and it's generally higher than what I would quote them. <laughs> And they're really open about that. And, and so I've even had situations where I've sent in a quote and the, the agency has said, that's great. That's within our budget. We want to offer you more than that. 
with it, keeping in mind that we're going to expect this much of your availability for phone meetings and we're expecting, you know, this much back and forth that you may not have yeah. accounted for in that. So, but I've been really lucky that it's been a very honest relationship and that they're saying um, that they value the work in that way. So I think, I think some of it has just been the relationships with people. It's funny. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, I've, I've hired contractors in the past and the contractor's given me a quote and I've gone back and I've done exactly the same thing where I've said, mm -hmm. I want to pay yeah. you more because I've yeah. got the budget to pay you more, but right. I, I want like a top shelf job here and I need right. you to be available and you can't disappear halfway through this project and go, mm -hmm. you know, hiking in Thailand for three weeks, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I want to give you more money because I want a top shelf product and I want you to be available. And it's really interesting that not everyone wants a cheaper price. A, a lot right. of people want reliability they want premium quality um and mm -hmm. it's some sometimes i mean we we did a job recently where we actually got paid more to deliver the project quicker now if you think mm -hmm. about the hourly rate that's completely right. counterproductive someone's paying me more to deliver the project quicker and if you're just working mm -hmm. on an hourly rate that just doesn't make sense at all because if i can get the job done quicker then it doesn't take as many hours and therefore the price should be cheaper so right. I'm really glad to hear that someone who's working with partners, designers, and, and agencies that you're not in a position where you're having to just, you know, quote an hourly rate and you've managed to work that relationship out. Yeah, no, the only time I use an hourly rate is when some, we're doing something like an addition to an existing site that we've built and it's really kind of unclear what it will take. Um, in those cases, I like to do hourly because I can give a sort of base and then I'm protecting myself if, it, if it's really unclear to us what it's going to take so that it, if it takes longer, we're okay with that. We know that we can bill for that additional time. Mm. But for regular projects, it's, it's always a flat project rate. Awesome. How do you, um, when, when, a, when a designer or a freelancer comes in and says, hey, we've got this client who wants to do X, Y, Z, but they're not really sure what that looks like, do you go away and write detailed proposals or kind of functional specification documents or do you build a prototype and show them? How do you handle that? Um, usually we look for examples, so we'll, we'll have them say, a lot of the time if someone has a requirement like that, they'll try and articulate it, and we'll say, what do you mean by that? And they'll come back with a few different websites that are similar to what they want, and so we'll look at some examples, and we'll try to define also what they want to get out of that. So, I, so I, it's kind of, a, I guess, an exploration process where we'll say, what are you trying to accomplish? Because a lot of the time people will say, I really love this effect on whatever, the New York Times website. And we'll say, but what are, you, what are you trying to have that do for your site? Mm. And a lot of the time what they, they think they want doesn't really match up with their goals. So we try and <laughs> clarify those two things, the goal and then the feature, and get yeah. really clear on, on those. And then we'll make some suggestions. Um, and again, we'll usually provide some examples if we have them. Um, and then I do write really detailed estimates that, that itemize out what's included. Um, and that, again, is to... to both of our benefits, it lets the client know what I'm thinking of for their site. And I encourage them to say to email back and if there's something they don't understand or if they think something's missing, to let me know that. Mm. Um, also, that's what I use to prevent scope creep. <laughs> so mm. I say this is exactly what we agreed to. I'm happy to do more than this, but it will cost more than this bottom line that's on your estimate. Yeah. So I do try to be really detailed with those as far as, as what those features look like and what's included. And you know, only the things on this are, are what we're talking about right now. What's, what's the best way to have that conversation about? Because this is, this is, I get asked this a lot, and I'm not sure that mm -hmm. I have the right answer for it. I don't think there is a perfect answer for it. But how do you deal with that when someone comes back and says, well, I know this is what we agreed to, but, you know, I've seen this shiny object over here that my <laughs> wife really likes, and we need to yep. include that now, and I just want you to include <laughs> that. How do you then say, well, this is going to cost you more? How do you have that conversation diplomatically? Yeah. So, I mean, at first I do, I, I have learned to push back when it is really not a good idea. <laughs> um, so I do first try and have that conversation about, are you adding it just because it's a shiny object <laughs> or are you adding it because it serves a purpose? Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I don't, I don't try, this is, I guess, where that lawyer arguing thing comes in. I don't try to argue too hard on that point, but I do want people to make good choices about their websites. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely push back. And then I actually haven't found the conversation to be that hard when I have that that original estimate or invoice to go back to, because um, then I can point to that and say, like, you know, we the, uh, looking back at the invoice, here's your link to it in case you want to reference it again. We talked about having five pages on the site. These are those pages, and now we're talking about adding a sixth and seventh, which is great. Um, this is the cost for adding those pages. Go ahead and confirm with me that that's okay with you, and we'll schedule them in on this time frame. And and it's just being really. Um, I think matter of fact about it yep. um, and making it clear like the, 
we're all clear on this. So it's not a surprise on either end. And, and it's really, I, th- I think not being defensive helps because mm. um, it really is something that we should both be clear on. Mm. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone and treating it that way helps it not feel like a surprise to the other person. And it's funny, you know, when I, whenever I dig deeper in this conversation with, with consultants, uh, usually what happens is, I, you know, they'll say, oh, the client's, you know, the client's wanting this and I'm not sure how to have the conversation. And you dig a little bit deeper and you find out that there actually is no proposal or estimate that the client yeah. signed off on the, in the first place. So right. there's, there's no agreement that they can go and reference right. back to. Yeah, that's the key is, the, is having that, that reference point to go back to. And, and for me, it's both the itemized estimate and invoice. And, and then I also have in my contract, I do have a segment that talks really clearly about, you know, we understand that projects change over the scope of, over the time of a project. And that is totally normal and totally fine. Changes to projects cost more money and yeah. they take longer. And so this is what you can expect when that mm. happens. Um, and so we do have actually both of those points that we can reference back to, which is really helpful. Hey, if there were th- if there were three people in the WordPress space that you could recommend that you've learned from, or in the kind of you know web design, web development space mm-hmm. that you've learned from, if there were three people that you could say, oh, I'd reckon that you should definitely follow these. Who would they be? I've just this is completely off the cuff, by the way. This yeah. is not scripted, um, ladies and gentlemen. I've just totally <laughs> put Zoe on the spot. <laughs> yes, um, I would say um, definitely Chris Courier uh-huh. from CSS Tricks and and the podcast that they do. Um, I, I really love the uh, Rapid Fire podcast that they do on the, it's the Shop Talk show. Um, those are all Q&A. And one of the reasons I really love them is, well, I do learn things from a lot of them, but I also really love hearing that everybody has the same questions over and over and over again. Because yeah, yeah. that's really, I think, affirming to, to me and to everybody else who has those questions. So yeah. that's really nice. Um, I also um, really love Andrew Clark's stuff. Uh-huh. Um, the, the contract that I use that I've worked on and modified over time, it was originally based on the contract killer yep. one that, that he put out. Yep. Um, and a lot of, of his stuff out there has really been helpful for me. Um, and then a third one, I would say, I don't know that there's another individual, but, um, Definitely anything that's put out from a list apart. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and their sort of, I guess you would call it a journal or blog online. Um, I think that, that that's one of the best resources for really smart articles about this work. Um, and, I, and I think it can be hard to weed through kind of filler articles about web stuff um, and get into the more in-depth articles and, and smart conversations that they spark about all kinds of topics. So there's no one person there so much, but that the content that they put out is really inspiring to me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. They are three people that I've been following or three uh, sites that I've been visiting a long time. I'm going to put the, the links to that in the show notes to Chris Coyier, Andy Clark, and a list apart. There'll probably be multiple links for Chris because he's got CSS tricks. He's got yes, code pen. He's got so much going on. A whole on. bunch of stuff going on. I know the man doesn't sleep. He's an overachiever. Um, and I'm going to try and get him on the podcast, by the way. Um, every All the show notes and stuff to this episode are going to be at wpelevation.com slash Zoe Rooney. That is Z-O-E-R-O-O-N-E-Y. Is that correct? That's yes. right. No spaces, no hyphens or other funny hieroglyphics. Um Hey, Shopify, why do you use Shopify and not WooCommerce? I'm curious. Um, that's a great question. I, I think the, the admin experience for shop owners with Shopify is unparalleled. It's really easy to use and really intuitive. I have not found the same about WooCommerce. Um, e-commerce is really hard for store owners as it is. It's a hard business to be in. And mm. so I think that is a really big deal. Um, I, I don't love how the Woo themes themes are structured. Um, I think they're hard to customize and modify. And I think um, maybe they've gone away from this practice, but in the past, I've seen more non-backwards compatible changes made to their products than I like to see. Um, I don't love to have to go back and make huge updates to client sites because of things like theme structure changes. I feel like that's kind of silly and not a good use of anyone's time. So that's one reason. Um, the pricing structure, I think, is also... I, I have, I've always wanted and I have not sat down and done it. But I'd be curious to see someone do a one-to-one comparison of uh, WooCommerce with all the extensions that you would want in a typical store um, compared to a Shopify account. And I think actually for the average store, Shopify would come out ahead cost-wise once you factor in the extensions and yearly renewals. 
Um, so I think they're actually comparable or Shopify is slightly less expensive. I just, I just think that like WordPress is really great for CMS and blogs. Mm. Shopify is really great and dedicated for, for e-commerce. And, and I don't think you can match that in the WooCommerce or any other WordPress plugin realm mm. right now. Mm. Awesome. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. Um, I have used Shopify in the past, and I do like it. The, the only thing I didn't like about Shopify is that you have to. There's a, an extra fee for selling digital products. Is that right? There's like an extra. Yeah, it's not have. really. It, it is really focused on physical, physical retail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and even just uh, they do have a point of sale platform now, so you could do like a store point of sale along oh. with your e-commerce and have those synced up. So that's new, but it is still really retail focused. Wholesale is not very well supported. Um, and and digital is still not part of the core product, and it's so it it's it costs more or it can be a little iffy. So definitely those are those are weaknesses. Um, I think if I was going to do only a digital product business, I might still go with WordPress, but I I don't know <laughs> I don't know what I would do with that. <laughs> Shopify is not the not the best product for just digital. Interesting. Uh, now you were, you recently spoke uh, well last year you spoke at WordCamp Philly on yep. automating WordPress theme development. And this was your, am I right in saying this was your first talk at a WordCamp? Yes. So I've got two questions for you. First of all, why did you speak at a WordCamp? And second of all, what kind of self-doubt and voices in your head did you have to get over to actually get up there and do it? Yeah, so I spoke at WordCamp, um, one, because I, I had been writing on my blog for a while and getting a lot of good feedback about the stuff I was writing about. And I felt like people were really interested in the things I was writing about. So I had some ideas about, about speaking, too, because um, I've done a lot of stuff with Girl Develop It here in Philly, mm. um, which we, we teach classes in tech for women, primarily women, and also with Tech Girls, which is a local nonprofit where we teach middle school girls tech topics. Um, and so through both of those, I've met a lot of people who emphasize how important it is to have women talking about tech. Mm. Um, and so that also sort of pushed me to, to take that step. Um, since I do have a background in education, I've taught both children and adults in education settings. I don't think I was as nervous as I would have otherwise been. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much okay in front of groups of people. Although it was the first technical talk I'd ever given. So that that was, I think, my big concern was getting up in front of a room of technical people who may or may not know more than I do about this topic, <laughs> uh, keep engaging. Um, it seemed like it went well. I'm giving a variation on that talk at LoopConf in Las Vegas cool. in April, which is a, a much more technical crowd even. <laughs> so so that one has my nerves up a little, a little higher, <laughs> but um, I think it'll be good. Awesome. I, I read um, someone, uh, where was I? Where did I read? Oh, that's right. We're actually putting together a new version of an ebook. <laughs> it was my own writing. And, um, you know, the thing is that speaking, I know that speaking ab absolutely has a positive impact on your business and your networking and just your whole professional development. And everyone's nervous about speaking. It doesn't matter how confident they appear or how experienced yeah. they are, everyone gets a little bit nervous about speaking. So you just have to find a way to get through those nerves and use that nervous energy to put it into the talk and just do it. Just get up there and do it. Yeah, definitely practice. It is. Awesome. All right, let's do the elevation round. For those that don't know, WP Elevation is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants, the world's first, in fact. So I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask Zoe, I was going to call you Tracy then, because I should loop this around. <laughs> Tracy Levesque from Yikes is the girl that actually suggested that I get you on the podcast. So thank you, Tracy. Yeah, I'll make and sure I know I... Tracy through Girl Develop It here in Philadelphia. Yeah, I'll make sure I send Tracy a link to this interview so she can come and close that loop. So I'm yeah. going to ask Zoe a series of quick questions about freelancing and consulting, and hopefully you'll give us some quick answers off the top of your head. All right, what's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Building community, for sure. People call it networking, and I, I hate the word networking because it sounds really self-serving. Um, community for me is about giving and taking. So I put out what I've learned and I get back things other people have learned and it, it's a lot easier than figuring it all out by myself. Awesome. I love it. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Um, I think finding a, a niche has been really important for me. So for me, it is that sort of business to business working with designers thing. Um, I think there's a lot of room in that particular niche, but I've also narrowed that looking at the lifestyle creative business type industries. Um, that's been key for me if with working with designers. I'm not the one finding the clients. So they come to me with the clients. That makes my job a lot easier. Awesome. How do you stop competing on price? Um, I just don't. <laughs> I don't <laughs> apologize for what you're charging. Um, 
I, I continually raise my prices and, and that's based on what I'm learning over the course of my work and how I feel like I've learned and grown as a developer. Um, and then I think also providing the value. So if, if I'm providing the product that the client wants, then they feel good about that at the yeah. end. Awesome. I love it. Uh, any tips on writing better proposals? Um, be detailed. <laughs> be clear. Be detailed. Write it all down. Um, I think it's a good place to ask for questions. Uh, people, I think, are nervous about that because they want it to be approved. But I would rather have it be the right project with the right scope and everybody on the same page than have it be approved because that, that saves the pain down the line. Mm. Nice. Favorite tool or system for CRM? I, that is a big hole for me. I have not found one that I like. I, I don't need anything that big, but I'd like to, to do better in that realm. Uh, so I, I haven't found one yet. Cool. Fair enough. Um, uh, and uh, I, you know, I've used just about every one on the market and I don't like any of them. <laughs> yeah, I've tried out a lot of them, yeah. but I, I've not been impressed yet. No, um, the jury's out. What's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? That's something I'm, I'm always working on. It's really hard, I think, with development because there's nothing to show ongoing um, for most clients. It's not helpful for them to see a site in progress because it just makes them worry. Um, so I, don't, I haven't really figured that out yet. Um, I, I'm working on some, some documents to share as part of client onboarding that, that really spell that out for clients and say, look, we're, we're working on this over a couple of weeks. There's not going to be much for you to see in that time frame, but you know, that, that, this is how we work on it, and this is when we'll start to bring you in and what you can expect. I think that will really help. I th we're also thinking about doing some really quick nothing to see yet, but we're still working on it emails just to keep people in the loop, even if there's nothing new to share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, I love that. I know you haven't heard from us for a while, but don't worry, we're working hard. There's just nothing to see yet. Yeah, it's really, it's really hard with development because, like I said, if people see a site that's not finished, I think it makes them worry more than they need to. Uh, so we, we really don't want to put ourselves or the clients in that position. So it is hard to be clear about, about how we are still working on it, but we don't want you to see it <laughs> and get engaged with it until it's pretty close to done. Any ideas for getting referrals from existing clients? Um, I mean, I think the, a lot of the work speaks for itself. So I, I only share work that represents the work I want to do on my portfolio. That's an advice I think a lot of people give, but I don't think it can be stated enough is that your portfolio should reflect the work that you want to do. That's um, right. And, um, and so that's what I do is I share the projects that represent the types of things I want to keep doing in the future. And I don't share the rest of them, even, even ones that I think are great. Um, and then... Excuse me. I think also the same thing about about the work speaking for itself as far as uh, providing the value for the clients, having clients who are happy with the work you've done, uh, and that kind of thing really helps. And I think also asking. I mean, I don't. I'm not really looking for work right now, but when I have been, I've found it helpful to straight up say to clients, uh, "I loved working with you. I would love to work with your friends. <laughs> if you know anyone who's looking for a website, send them my way." Mm. Awesome. Uh, and final question in the Elevation Round, what is the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself from everyone else out there? Um, I think it's a little cliche, but it's a, probably because it's true, which is to, to be yourself. Although I will say that I think you should be a, a extra nice, extra friendly and extra professional version of yourself, probably. <laughs> um, I, I think nice and friendly in particular are big holes for developers. And so I think those unfortunately differentiate people in this field right now. In client services, um, so I think those are big. But I, I think you know people want to work with people. So if you come off as a person, then that that helps build that relationship with the clients and, and other people in the field. Great advice. Hey, let's talk a little bit about your course. Um, yeah. I'm curious as to why you started a course. So first of all, tell us what tell us what Neatly Polished is. Yeah. So so it's. Um, a, a website with a bunch of in-depth lessons. Right now, the course that is up is on WordPress theme development. So it runs all the way through um, all aspects of a WordPress theme and what the pieces are, how they work together, how you can customize them if you're doing a custom build. Um, it came about because I write a lot of posts on similar topics on my blog, but there's only so much time I can spend writing blog posts that are just out there for the world. Um, People were asking more in-depth questions, and I just didn't feel like I could prioritize answering them on my blog. So this was a way to, to get a lot more in-depth for those people who were asking while being paid for the time it takes to write really in-depth work like that. 
Um, each there, I think there are something like what 28 lessons in the WordPress theme dev course, and each one is anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 words. So they took a long time to write, wow. a very long time. Um, and so the, it's a way to share that knowledge, which I like to do, um, but in a way that's sustainable for me. And the plan is to add other lessons on things like PHP more generally, and then uh, a similar one on Shopify theme development. So these are, I'm just looking at the sample theme here, which is uh, lesson eight. Sorry, the sample lesson, which yeah. is lesson eight. These aren't mm -hmm. video screencasts, are they? They're actually no, they're text. written tutorials with screenshots, yeah? Yeah, screenshots and then also code samples and links to, to you know, GitHub code samples and other stuff like that. Um, I, I think I will do a couple of videos on a couple of topics, but um, I find the written format easier for me to learn from because I can go through and go back and forth and not have to skip through videos. So I did it that way. Um, and I also find it really helpful to have all the code written out mm. when I'm reading through a tutorial. So yeah, no, it's not video, all writing. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So you are very kindly uh, giving away three months access to Neatly Polished, which is for those, just to be clear here, this is WP, this is WordPress theme development and it's not for beginners, right? It's well, so it, if you have worked with WordPress on the content side before, um, then you'll probably be okay. It's not for HTML, CSS beginners because, uh, because there's a lot of HTML and CSS in a theme and we don't, I don't talk about how you write that. Sure. So if you're going to look at a template file and, and find the HTML confusing and distract that from the WordPress stuff, then it's probably not a good choice for you at this point in time. Um, if you've done a little bit of dabbling with modifying themes, it'd be great for you. If you are already a little bit familiar with PHP but not with WordPress, it'd be great for you. So you don't really need to know a ton about WordPress, but if you are totally new to code, then you will find it overwhelming. <laughs> Awesome. And you know what I like about this too, is that even if you are a WordPress consultant who isn't on the code anymore, but you are, you know, either paying contractors or outsourcing or growing a team, I still think it's really important that you know the basics and that you have an over, overall understanding of how a WordPress theme works so that you know what's possible, you know what to sell to clients and you know what your team can deliver. So even if you yep. don't want to be the world's best coder, I think this is still uh, an important thing to have in your toolkit, so to speak. Now, you're giving away, thank you very much, by the way, very kind of you to give mm -hmm. away three months access to neatlypolished.com, which is valued at $79. What do people have to do to enter uh, the draw to win this prize? I would love to have people comment on the post for this episode and tell me what they think the future of WordPress themes is. I'm really mm. curious about that. I know you did a recent podcast on that topic with a sort of think tank, mm -hmm. and there was some stuff recently in WordSesh online about this as well, and I'm just so curious to hear what people think is next in WordPress themes. All right, so leave a comment under this video. Uh, if you're listening to this on your mobile device, then you need to go to wpelevation.com slash Zoe Rooney and leave a comment under this video and tell Zoe the number one thing or the, or the thing that you think that WordPress, the future of WordPress themes is all about. What is the next big thing in WordPress themes? Over the last couple of years, it's been all about drag and drop page builders. What is the next big <laughs> thing in WordPress themes? And uh, I'll get Zoe to swing by in a couple of weeks' time and award the prize. Sound good, Zoe? Sounds great. Awesome. Hey, what's the future for Zoe Rooney? Where do you think you're going to be in 12 months' time? That is a great question, and I do not have a good answer. I love doing <laughs> client work. I'm always looking to challenge myself, though, and keep learning myself, and I'm, I'm still figuring out what that's going to look like in 12 months for me. Awesome. Cool. I like your honesty and your candor. Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you on the WP Elevation podcast. Thank you so much for spending well. some time with us. Uh, just before we wrap up, where, mm -hmm. can people reach out and, uh, where can people reach out and say thanks for this interview? Um, Twitter is my favorite. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe underscore Rooney. So Z-O-E underscore R-O-O-N-E-Y. That's the best place. Cool. Awesome. And um, who would you, final question, who would you like me to interview on the podcast and why? Yeah. So um, like I said, I'm speaking at LoopConf in April. And one of the other speakers there is Naomi Bush, who is a developer at Stripe currently. I believe she got to that job via a WordPress plugin that she wrote that integrated Stripe with, I think, Gravity Forms, oh, potentially. Okay. Um, but she's speaking at LoopConf on this topic of continually improving one's work as a developer through education, which I think is fascinating. And I like to see other ladies in the development space. So she would be my suggestion. Awesome. Naomi Bush from Stripe. I'm coming to get you. So keep your eyes on your <laughs> inbox, courtesy of Zoe Rooney. Hey, thank you very much for spending some time with us. I wish you all the best for the future and uh, keep you. in touch. Thanks. Cheers.
Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Zoe Rooney as much as I enjoyed interviewing her. I found Zoe very engaging and very switched on, very clever gal. Uh, sponsor message. Oh, that's right. This is where I'm supposed to tell you that the podcast is sponsored by Video User Manuals, but you already know that, don't you? Just go to videousermanuals.com and grab the plugin that allows you to install about 82 or 83 video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard to teach them how to use WordPress. You get it for $1 for your first month. It's ridiculously easy to use and extremely helpful. It's probably the best plugin on the market. I mean, I'm not biased at all, but it's probably the best plugin ever. Um, <laughs> what else do you need to know about it? You can rebrand it, put your own logo on it, add custom videos. Uh, you can switch individual videos on or off, and you can use our embed codes to embed the videos on your own membership site. It's truly awesome. Check it out at videousermanuals.com. Hey, subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. What we will do is we'll email you every Thursday morning, Australian time, which is Wednesday afternoon for most of you, and tell you that a new episode is live. Uh, you can do that at wpelevation.com slash subscribe. Um, and all the show notes and links for this particular episode will be at wpelevation.com slash Zoe Rooney. That's Z-O-E-R-O-O-N-E-Y. And remember to leave your comment underneath the video and tell Zoe where you think WordPress themes are headed in the future for your chance to win three months access to her course at Neatly Polished, valued at $79. Next week, I've got my good friend Kim Gerstard from Male Poet on the podcast. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, please give us a five-star review at iTunes if you like what we do. It really helps us come up in the search results. It really seriously does help us reach a wider audience. So if you do like what we're doing, please just take five minutes and give us a five-star review at iTunes and tell us why you like what it is we're doing. Um, or you can connect with us at stitcher.net, Stitcher Radio. Uh, what else is there? Not much, really. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as I am. It's 2015. It's going to be a cracker of a year. Until next time, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate.